Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. I'm Jesse Thorne. It's Bullseye. Have you heard about Extraordinary? It's a new movie set in Ireland. Very fun. Here's the premise. Ghosts are real. They can haunt just about anything. A home, a cheese with live cultures, a gravel. So usually the ghosts are easy to miss, unless you have the gift of second sight. Rose, the hero of the film, has that gift. She's played brilliantly by our friend Maeve Higgins. Rose got it from her father, a professional medium and TV host. Only the whole paranormal world isn't really her scene. She has a day job as a driving instructor that she likes fine. The villain is Christian Winter, played by my guest Will Forte, an American singer who had a hit song decades ago and is living off the royalties in a castle in Rose's small Irish town. He's got a plan, though, to make a deal with the devil, sacrifice a virgin, and become famous again. Only Rose can stop him. It's hard to imagine a better person to play a satanic American rock star than Will Forte. He plays it with just the right amount of weirdness and theatricality, too. Before we get into my interview with Will, I want to play a clip. Extraordinary uses a lot of faux archival footage on VHS. This comes from the beginning of the film. It's kind of a TV profile on Will's character, Christian Winter. And I sang la 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 la, cosmic woman la la la. What was it about Ireland that made you want to move here 20 years ago? I was seeking solitude. Ireland is steeped in the poetic, mystical magic. The people are uh, a simple people. Yes. Yeah, and all the tax exemptions, of course. Few songs in rock history had such instant success. Christian shot from anonymity to mega stardom, practically overnight. But that was it. A one-hit wonder. Christian's success was short-lived. None of his subsequent records even made it to the charts. Yes, everyone does call him one-hit winter and laughs at him, etc. <laughs> Will Forte, welcome to Bullseye, and I so enjoyed Extraordinary. Thank you very much. Uh, it's so funny it, it, when I'm when I'm listening without a visual component, and I the the conceit of this movie is basically I I play a character that sorry I'm jumping right into this, but I play a character who was who had one huge hit, and then. I'm a washed up old rock star and I want another hit. So I sell my soul to the devil basically. And the movie's about this woman, Maeve Higgins, who tries to come after me. But, but there's always a little suspension of disbelief in watching any kind of movie. But, <laughs> but when I heard that to believe that that was a, was a huge <laughs> hit, that song is like, Oh, huh. And I sing la, 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 la. But I guess, you know, oh, I was going to say a song that I didn't think should have been a hit. 
but was a hit, and I feel I don't want to be mean to anybody. <laughs> I mean, you get the pleasure of, in, in this film, uh, wearing some truly glorious... Your character lives in a castle. Yes. You get to wear some castle-appropriate garb in the film. Oh, yeah. And do some nice, some really cool prancing that I really yes. enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the, the wardrobe was great because a lot of, a lot of satanic robes and stuff like that. But but it was kind of cold when we were making this and we were in this, uh, you know, castles in Ireland don't have great uh, heating systems. So so it it was nice to stay warm and, and uh, yeah, it, it all worked. There's some multi, multi-scarf systems going on oh, around yeah. your neck. <laughs> no, it's a real, it's a real Steven Tyler meets Alistair Crowley, I guess. Were there any particular rock stars that you observed in preparing to play this character? I didn't really do anything like that, but the guys, Mike and Enda, who directed and, and wrote the movie, they they kept talking about Chris DeBerg. And I was like, I you know, I like Lady in Red and, and God, I feel like he had some other songs that were, were popular, but that's the one he's most known for. But uh, he seemed like a very nice guy, so I don't know why they kept bringing up, you know, him as this person to be pointed to as a Satanist. I don't think he's a Satanist. You know, he's maybe he's very religious. I don't know. But uh, it's yeah, possible he's a Satanist. Do you know that he's not a Satanist? I don't. I no. I I will. I am open minded to everything because you know. Another question that always comes up is, uh, do you believe in ghosts? Um, and what what the hell do I know? I don't know. Maybe. I don't not believe in ghosts. I I think too many people, you know, just stand by this belief that they're not 100% about, but then they get real stubborn on it. I don't know. I don't believe in ghosts because if ghosts were real, I don't think I could deal with that. Really? But I... I would get freaked out. (laughs) But that's the thing is I, I tend to believe that there might be ghosts. Some you know in some form or another, uh, and but they could be. But you know, it just like the movie shows, they're in just like little teeny things. It's not. It's <laughs> not all. Ooh. It could just be. Hey, I'm a ghost over here. I'm gonna help you with your day. You know that. Uh, Maybe my be... favorite joke in the movie is: Have you ever had a bad dream after eating cheese? It's very easy for ghosts. It's very easy for ghosts to occupy the live cultures in cheese. Yes, there's so much little fun stuff. In fact, when they sent me the script, they sent along with the script this uh, a thing that they had put together, like a three minute clip a three minute short that is made to look like an old videotaped show it it essentially is the very beginning of the movie if you go and see the movie uh which is uh Maeve Higgins father used to you know do this series where he would kind of explain the talents which were you know basically the talents were your abilities to, you know, interact with ghosts and stuff like that. So, so in this, it's, you know, it's explaining how ghosts are everywhere. They're in, you know, you could, anywhere you look, you could find them. And, and about 10 seconds in, they're talking about the different places you could find them. And do you remember where he says, a gravel? <laughs> like, and there's just like a little 
spare, you know, one piece of gravel <laughs> skittering along the <laughs> the driveway. And and I was like, just from that moment, on, I hadn't even read the script yet. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this thing. Let's hear a little bit more from Extraordinary, where my guest Will Forte plays uh, one hit wonder slash tax shelter seeker, uh, Christian Winter, who signs a deal with the devil. So part of his plan is a a virgin sacrifice and he has gotten himself a a virgin in the film but he when he goes into his sacrificing area while he's waiting for the blood moon he finds that the virgin is now in two pieces and the two pieces are basically the top third and the bottom third of the virgin (laughs) and uh he's he's pretty upset about it we find out that the fault for this lies with claudia his wife uh who's played by the the very funny claudia odorty Tomorrow night, the ceremony can only happen then. Now I shall have to procure another virgin. I said sorry. <laughs> she is so funny. Claudia Lattardi yeah. is very funny and so cool too, because she she plays my wife. So we were on the same schedule. There were very few scenes that uh, that I was in that she wasn't, or that she was in that I wasn't. Um, in fact, I think it was everything except for one scene. We were in together, so we'd have the same days off, and we would go out and and just you know hang around Ireland. It was really fun to get to know her, and she's a fantastic person, and it's just so funny. God, I just had a great time. Um, you mentioned how hard you worked on your sitcom Last Man on Earth. Yeah. Um, there were three creators of the show, of whom you were one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Two of them, almost immediately upon creating the show, became the most successful uh, action comedy writer-producers in Hollywood after they made the Lego movie. Um, <laughs> and uh, you were you became the basically the the sole showrunner of the show, along with being its star. I can't imagine how much work it was to star in a network television sitcom where if it's working, you're making literally almost two dozen episodes a year while also writing (laughs) or supervising the writing of all of those. It was so insane. It was just, it was a crazy amount of work. I never knew what went into doing a show and I came up as a writer. And so, so, but but you know I I got the SNL job before before I was that high up the ranks that you were involved in too much production stuff so so you know so uh, so I all this stuff I, I agreed to be the showrunner at first just thinking oh well you know it's my show I'm a control freak I wanted to turn out the way I wanted to. Uh, but but I had no idea what I was getting myself into, and and uh, it was the most amount of it, just crazy amount of work because you know you'd you'd be for a while you're just writing and you're trying to bank as much material as you as you can, but then production starts, um, and so you have to be especially for this show, 
I mean, I was in everything in the beginning because it was just me and then Shawl, Kristen Shawl, uh, and then there were like three people. But you're in everything, and and I mean, also the, when it's the your show, premise you're... of the show, to be clear, is that a virus has destroyed the human race. Yes, and initially you believe yourself to be the only survivor. Eventually, you find a couple of other survivors. Yeah, <laughs> but like basically especially in the beginning the camera is always on you like there's no there's no b story where another guy from the office is stuck in the elevator or something so that you're off screen for seven of the 23 minutes of the show yeah it's just you yeah and then and then even later on when when more people came in and and there were a couple there would be scenes that i wasn't in it's still my show so i gotta stay down there and kind of check out what they're doing um, and then, then once we start editing, then it's just, then you're trying to write and try, you're acting all day, trying to find times within that day to, to write and then editing on weekends. It was, I don't know. I think I worked it out at some point. It was like 120 hour work weeks for six months in a row or so. I, I forget the exact thing, but it was just so mentally and physically draining the best the best way to describe it was it was the type of the type of workload where i remember new year's one year writing until five minutes before the ball dropped on tv just scrambling over to my next door neighbors grabbing a cup of champagne uh as it you know hit midnight cheersing slurp down the champagne, go back over at 12.10, and then start writing again. It was, that was the kind of, <laughs> it was just bonkers. I must have gone out of the house beside, you know, six times to do over over that first season. Uh, it, was, it was just an insane amount of work. How did you handle that workload over that period of time, like physically and emotionally? Uh, I, th- I got very selfish. Um, I lived selfishly is the, is the, that's the overall way, but it was, you know, I drank a little too much. I got unhealthy physically. I, you know, you'd, I, I would back then I was, I was a runner. So I'd, that's how I'd get my stress out. And, and, but there was just so much going on all the time that, that I couldn't, I didn't have time to run anymore. And I, was staying up too late to do everything. And so I wouldn't get enough sleep. And then you'd be eating and snacking more to keep your energy up during the days. And just, and then the stress, like I couldn't get to sleep at night cause you'd be amped up, but it'd be like, geez, I, I, if I go to bed right now, I'm only going to get five hours of sleep. Ugh, so, you know, so I'd have a drink to, you know, help me fall asleep. And that's, that's not a healthy way to, get to sleep and then you wake up a little you know little hangover it, i'd learn to i don't know i just was i would gain 30 40 pounds during the season and then try to start taking it off and be, it was it was no way to live and that's just the physical part the mental part was you know tons of friendships that were just put on hold uh not being able to be a great friend or boyfriend or it just family member it was it was tough and i have you know after the show got canceled i i just went out and traveled and 
just got to know myself again. I feel like I am a version of myself that I like more than than I was. And I wasn't a monster or anything, but but um, you seem like a monster now. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> more bullseye after a quick break. Still to come. We haven't talked with Will Forte about Saturday Night Live. He was on that show for eight years. We'll talk about it after the break. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. This is your captain with an update from the flight deck. We'll be reaching Max Fun Drive on March 16th. That's right on time. As a reminder, Max Fun Drive runs for just two weeks, and it's the best time of year to support the podcasts you love. If you look towards the front, you'll see your favorite hosts with special bonus content and lovely thank you gifts for new and upgrading monthly members. Now, sit back, relax, and catch up on your favorite Max Fun shows now so you can listen to the new episodes releasing March 16th. And thanks again for choosing Maximum Fun. On a secret military recording, a sound so haunting, one scientist believed it could change the world. My mind was racing as I listened to this, and I thought, this, this is the way. Join NPR's Invisibilia for the first episode of our new season. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Will Forte. He was a cast member on Saturday Night Live for eight years. He created and starred in The Last Man on Earth on Fox, as well as the movie MacGruber. He's got a new film. It's called Extraordinary. It's in theaters now. Let's get back into our conversation. I I don't want to let any more of this conversation pass before I bring up MacGruber. Um, Your your recurring Saturday Night Live sketch uh, turned television commercial turned feature film. Um, We like to hit the commercial part the most. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's one of the... We usually lead with commercials. That's one of the craziest (laughs) parts of the MacGruber. There are many crazy parts of the MacGruber story, which is I like to think of it as a story, a sort of hero's journey. (laughs) But like one of the craziest parts of MacGruber is that it was a recurring Saturday Night Live sketch, which... I mean, we can let's start. Let's start by listening to the Saturday Night Live version of MacGruber, um, which is basically the joke of which started out as um, you know, MacGyver is was famous for coming improvising solutions to uh, uh, episodic television challenges uh, through like things that were left around initially. MacGruber was kind of like, what if those things were gross things? And then the joke sort of became, over time, uh, what is the worst person that could star (laughs) in a regular television show? And also, like, how much badness can we cram into a profoundly short sketch that just ends with everyone exploding? (laughs) Um, So this this is MacGruber on Saturday Night Live, and he and his co-worker are racing the clock, diffusing a bomb, as they always were, um, when an oddly familiar stranger shows up with some advice. MacGruber, this door is welded shut. And from the looks of that dynamite, we've got exactly 20 seconds. Okay, just stay calm, because everything I need to defuse this bomb is inside this room. Vicky, toss me that pen cap. On the way, MacGruber. New guy, what's your name again? MacGyver. 
MacGyver. It's a stupid name. MacGyver, pass me that thumbtack. I'd go with the gum wrapper. And I care about what you're saying because... <laughs> I'm just saying I'd do it a little differently. Well, MacGyver, you're not MacGruber. That's what you think. What's that supposed to mean? Ten seconds! It was a cold December night. It's a boy, Mr. MacGyver. What are you going to call him? MacGruber. MacGruber MacGyver? <laughs> the perfect name for the perfect baby. Three seconds, MacGyver! Don't you worry, MacGruber. Nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. Not on my watch. MacGyver! So years ago, the great film critic Roger Ebert wrote this review of one of my favorite movies, Wet Hot American Summer, that was a, a parody of the uh, Hello Mudda, Hello Fado song. Yeah. And Roger Ebert, for all his many gifts... It wasn't the world's greatest parodist, but the, <laughs> the like the point of it was that uh, uh, that this movie was just totally execrable. It was just really, really horrible. And I remember feeling so betrayed by that review when I saw the movie and it became one of my favorite films. And I was thinking of that as I read the New York Times review of MacGruber uh, by A.O. Scott, who's a wonderful critic, really insightful, brilliant critic who opens essentially with the question, and he literally asked this question, why does this exist? <laughs> and then I was also struck, it continues along those lines, questioning why a movie like MacGruber would have come into existence. Later on, he says, Kristen Wiig was your, was your co-star in the film. Kristen Wiig is one of the funniest people alive. Mr. Forte is not. <laughs> <laughs> which gains extra poignance. Uh, now I disagree, but uh, it gains extra poignance with the with the you know style guide formality of the New York Times referring to you as Mr. Forte. But yeah, like MacGruber was really brutally received. I yeah. will say, I thank God. My I I I will wait. Go go ahead. Yeah, no. what I was going to say is my my friend Jordan, God bless him, saw the movie in a, in an early screening, a pre release screening, and said, "Oh my God, MacGruber is so funny! You have to go see MacGruber." And I went and saw MacGruber, and I I cried with laughter. I was one of the funniest, one of the most laughing I've thank ever you. done in a movie theater. Um, but. It was a box office bomb and broadly, broadly poorly reviewed. Not universally, but broadly. Oh, I would say, I would say, I would argue that. Okay. Um, I, certainly, there were a lot of places that gave it horrible reviews, but there were some very good reviews from respected critics. Uh, you know, Peter Travers loved it, and I can't remember the other people, but I, I would say. I wouldn't. I was actually happy that it it was not skewered as much as it could have been. Like you know, you go to Rotten Tomatoes, and you know, there's Catholic Mother's Digest or whatever that's reviewing it, and that's part of the hundred percent. It's like, well, you know, yeah, of course, of course, this is not a movie for that. <laughs> and I am I was raised Catholic, so so I knew specifically that I knew. <laughs> 
I knew this was not for for my Catholic brethren. You had tried putting a celery yeah. stick in your butt at Sunday school. Yeah, and exactly. found that it did not fly in that no, context. But certainly, certainly that you know that the uh, there were bad reviews, and I understand that. I I love the movie. I'm proud of the movie, and I think that um, I I I would say that I think a lot of the people who reviewed it, you could tell who wasn't going to give it a chance in the first place, you'd go through and you'd go, oh, this person never was going to give it a chance or maybe didn't even watch it. Or like you just, there were so many things about, you could, you know, they would make a a joke about, you know, why would you do, you know, something about how, review it in a way that made it seem like it was these the SNL sketch where it, the, the movie had nothing to do with the sketch. So it's like, wait, did you did you see the movie? This was not this repetitive romp of explosions over and over again. I, I don't know. It, you know, people can review it how they want to. And, you know, A.O. Scott, review it. Yeah, sure, fine. I, I don't know. You know, I, I disagree. And and uh, I, I don't I, I don't know that I would have trust in his reviews of comedy movies. Uh, to be honest, or, or, you know, and it's fine review. Yeah. If that's how you feel, that's fine. Um, he was you know, wrong. I think he's wrong, but you know, what I do agree. I know? I wrote the actual movie, so it's certainly going to, it's definitely going to be up my alley because it's Look, all I'm a revered culture critic too, like. A.O. Scott. You are wrong on that one. <laughs> Jesse Thorne from NPR says so. I don't so. know that I'd want to sit next to him at a dinner party. It sounds like, you know, <laughs> you know, he doesn't sound like a fan. Yeah, but I imagine that that having that having that kind of deeply mixed reception to the film uh, is in a way, in its own way, galvanizing. Like I also thought, I don't know, Anchorman was very funny. I don't know what is a good example of a well-reviewed uh, uh, Bridesmaids. Bridesmaids oh very God. well reviewed, super funny. I also thought it was super funny. Uh, Bridesmaids isn't as important to my personal identity as MacGruber is, in part because MacGruber was divisive. Just as, like, I don't know, I love both the movie Babe and the movie Babe, Pig in the City. Like, okay. I both those are two movies that I really loved. Um, but you'll hear me talk a lot more about Babe, Pig in the City because it was reviled by many and i think unfairly so i think it's just as wonderful as babe it's just different um is mcgruber kind of like your rush <laughs> the band yes it's like it you, is you feel like it because there are some people who are super pro it some people who are very anti so you're like it gives you it it just it's a real thrill but i imagine that when you make a movie like that what you get is um, you know, certain people certainly avoiding your gaze in the immediate aftermath, but many people like texting you and saying, look, I saw McGroover. It ruled. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I, I will for sure. We do not, or at least, you know, I don't want to drag your man John into this, but my, I, I've always thought like, I'm, I'm not trying to make something for, you know, for everyone, I'm trying to make something that I would want to see, something that I would like. So, you know, certainly it makes sense that a ton of people 
wouldn't like it too. But, you know, I, I feel like when you don't, what you know, if you water it down and try, not water it down, but, but if you try to try to think too much about, oh, this joke wouldn't work because some people might think this is gross or, you know, and, and you think too much about what people might not like, just go through, make yourself happy. And if you're doing that, the product is going to show how much you like it. And, and I, I don't know, it, does that make sense? I, I feel like I'm doing a bad job of, of uh, putting words together. I mean, I think your passion for it is evidence and, and your colleagues uh, who created it with you is evidenced by the fact that it's now 10 years later and, you know, you had a network television show for a while and like in that 10 years, it's clear that the three of you who created this film have really focused a lot of your career juice on either making a sequel to the film oh, yeah. oh my God. or making now, now it looks like there will be a, a television sequel to the film. A yeah. Stre- a streaming looking sequel. Good. You know, it's, 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 you know, if this works out, it will be a dream come true because we just had so much fun doing it. We, it was another situation like last man on earth in that, not the, not the hard work part of it. It was, this was, we just got to work with the part that is very much like Last Man on Earth is the people involved in the making of the MacGruber movie were fantastic. And it was just this really magical experience of doing this thing with a bunch of people you love. So we just have been wanting to get that group back together. Obviously, it's, you know, people are on different shows, so we can't get the whole group together. But, you know, it's it's uh, just ex- exciting to get to work with people that you like and have a good time. And, and you know, if, if I'm just very excited to hopefully be in that position. I want to play a Saturday Night Live sketch that you did where you, I think pretty much all the, all the setup this needs is that you are a kid competing in a television spelling bee. The word is business. Could you repeat the word, please? Business. Could you use it in a sentence, please? Business. I'm in the insurance business. Could you spell the word, please? No. Could you repeat the word, please? The word is business. Business. B R D T F K L M G H R K W T F N Y L. Now, I think uh, Kevin had to, my producer had to fade that out there. It goes on for a good while. <laughs> it goes on for a long time, <laughs> especially for network television. That was one I used to do at the Groundlings for a long time, and it it was uh, it. I put it up at the at SNL to see if they would let me do it, and um, it went well at the table read. But then they ended up not picking it. So every once in a while, you can put 
a sketch back up um, a second time. Um, so I put this one up because I had done it 50 times at the Groundlings or something like that. It was my favorite sketch <laughs> I had ever done um, or, or among my favorite three. And, uh, and so tr- put it up a second time. They didn't put it in. So then I put it up a third time, which is I maybe have seen once or twice, but pretty thirsty move. Yes. Did not get put in. Put it up a fourth time. Didn't get in. And it would still go well at the table reads. And finally, on the fifth time, uh, Jack Black was the host. And he, he uh, I think, talked Lauren into, into doing it. And it was, I'm so, I will always be thankful to Jack Black cause, because uh, it, it was a really special experience to get to do something that you had done on the, there's something about doing stuff at Saturday Night Live that you used to do at the Groundlings or, or anywhere before you're at SNL. And, and that was a very special experience. I'm imagining now you pitching that sketch to like Derek Jeter, something oh. like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I, I understand why it took so long to make it in because there's not really anything for the host to do. So it's, it's, and you know, I think I, I I don't know that that's the number one reason it didn't get in. No. I would say probably the number one reason it didn't get in is that it's too weird to be on television. It is. I mean, it, it, it and I will give Lauren a ton of credit for putting it on because it is. It must be very scary because there's there's really very few jokes. It's really that thing where they either are laughing at it or they don't laugh at it at all, and then you're just sitting there while they don't laugh <laughs> at all but the it's it was uh i was so i was happy that he he gave it a chance um you were on saturday night live for a long time doing that kind of thing very consistently and it was a lot of fun for me and other people uh-huh. who grew up uh really loving like uh, an end of the night Jack Handy sketch or whatever. Oh, um, Jack Handy, Ooh, but the best. <laughs> I wonder if you ever thought like maybe if I just worked up one impression of a senator or like one one good Kardashian bit or whatever. I don't know. It just it doesn't it doesn't work like that so you know i i like kind of weird stuff and it's for for some reason some people like my brand of weird and other people's don't and 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 it's that's why i always oh my god like people like wig are i i'm so impressed by because she her stuff is so weird and absurd but it's also like she's able to convey it in a way that just so many people it's it hits home for so many people and i was never fully able to like you know like like ao scott says you know chris and wig incredibly funny you know some people just are like ao scott me and some people some people do not ao scott me but it's you know it's so i have so much wig is so amazing or or like will ferrell so it's so absurd and weird and fun and just like you know it's i just don't have that same gift of being able to to connect uh with with everyone chris and phil the uh, chris miller and phil lord 
who who were my partners in uh, Last Man on Earth. They're really good with that too. Just just you know, incredibly absurd and and fun, smart stuff that is really somehow they're able to to really just convey it to audiences in a way that I I'm still learning to try to do so you know i'm not i'm not in the grave yet so who knows maybe when i'm 70 i'll figure it all out <laughs> well will forte i am so grateful to you for coming uh, to be on bullseye it's it's uh, it's something i've hoped could happen on the show one day for years and years and years oh my and God. Thank uh, you i'm for such a fan me. i'm i'm so glad to this has been very therapeutic here. and i appreciate it thank you i i uh you know, it is fun to come here and talk about Extraordinary too because I, I mean, love that movie. Good news, Will. When MacGruber the television show comes out, we're planning an hour-long special. Um, I, I would our, love to come back. This is great. <laughs> the support of our friends at National Public Radio. <laughs> 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 They're going to send Robert Siegel over here to help me out. <laughs> Will Forte, thank you. Thank you. Just as winter ends, my darling A spaceship landed on the lawn We danced until the dawn Will Forte Look, I think I've made my opinion about MacGruber clear in this conversation If I haven't, I think that MacGruber is one of the funniest movies of the last 10 or 15 years Extraordinary, his new film is also wonderful Maeve Higgins is brilliant in it. It's playing now in select theaters. In my summer house in Berlin, your face like Anne Boleyn. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is produced at MaximumFun.org World Headquarters overlooking MacArthur Park in beautiful Los Angeles, California, where they were shooting The Rookie, the network procedural starring the very funny and charming Nathan Fillion Uh, when a network television show comes to town it is quite the operation our show is produced by speaking into microphones our producer is Kevin Ferguson Jesus Ambrosio is our associate producer we have help from Casey O'Brien our production fellow is Jordan Cowling our interstitial music is by Dan Wally also known as DJW Our theme song is by The Go Team. Our thanks to them and their label Memphis Industries for letting us use it. And we have decades of interviews in the can that are available to you to listen to for free. Why not check out uh, the star of Extraordinary, Maeve Higgins, uh, the brilliant Irish comedian and writer, uh, now actor. She is so cool. Maeve is the greatest. And we had a great conversation on the show a couple years ago. You can find all those on our website at MaximumFun.org, and you can find them, you know, in your favorite podcast app or wherever else. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Just search for Bullseye with Jesse Thorne and keep up with the show, and I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. NPR.